Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. Well, folks, it's about that time of the month when the grand resolutions for transforming yourself this year start to fizzle out a bit. And I bet one of those resolutions was to get fit just in time for that next beach vacation. Well, I'm a victim of that syndrome. I recently joined a really nice gym near my home. Uh, I went shopping, got myself a nice tracksuit, brand new sneakers, and even matching socks. Then I went to the iStore, picked up one of those heart-monitoring wristbands, and downloaded some fitness apps, and I was all set for action. You gotta look the part, I told myself. So I started by going to the gym three times in the first week of Jan, went on the treadmill, lifted some weights, and generally felt good about myself, and then I don't know what happened. I lost interest, and my favorite day of the week to exercise became tomorrow. I'm putting it off every time. In fact, whenever I feel the urge to exercise, I lie down and take a nap until the feeling passes. And let's get real. Working out is boring, a mindless session of doing the same thing over and over again, getting sweaty and not in the way I like to. And in my case, always being out of breath. I feel closer to death every time I finish a workout and quite frankly, the only bulge I've seen on my body develop is the vein popping from my forehead every time I lift a dumbbell more than once. And then, why is it that every time I go to the gym, I feel like the unhealthiest guy there? In fact, I feel like I would be a pin-up model for the centerfold of Thick and Juicy. So to console myself, I just show up at my local fast food joint because everyone there is bigger than me. So if you share any sense of compassion or can relate to anything I've just said, then this show is for you. Our guest is a well-being expert and a chiropractor who's going to tell us how to keep our resolutions intact, the value of being fit, and the misconceptions we all have about getting into shape. He's faced some serious challenges in his own life and shares with us the benefits from his own experiences. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Stephen Karpenko. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much, Vip, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, not a problem, sir. Well, you're a chiropractor by profession, and now you're expanding your reach into becoming a well-being expert. So give me some background into your life, because I want our listeners to understand what you've experienced in your own life that makes you worthy about of talking about the importance of fitness and well-being. Well, when I was, uh, when I was about 12 years old, mm. I had uh, uh, always been picked on a little bit. I was overweight, and I... I uh, had developed a little bit of a self-esteem issue. I was very quiet, very introverted, and I started martial arts. I wasn't very good at it at first. In fact, for the first year or two, um, I hated it. I didn't like it. Uh, my parents kind of made me continue to go because it was the only sports uh, activity that I actually uh, performed in uh, or that I had any slight interest in doing. And in doing so, uh I actually started to become a little bit more proficient the more I practiced at it, and I became one of the top students in my uh, my class, my, my, my school, and I was quite proud of that, until one day, of course, I was uh, just getting ready for school, right. and I bent over to tie my shoe, and I felt uh, a stabbing knife pain in my upper back, something that... Uh, the medical profession would consider costovertebral myospasms, which is the most agonizing pain that I can actually feel or that I've ever felt in my entire life. It would, it would seize up my rib cage, prevent me from breathing for several minutes. I couldn't turn my head, couldn't move my arms. 
basically, I would just lie there like an invalid until the spasms actually calmed down. How long will the past spasms be for? Uh, about, uh, about two to four minutes long. That's a long time with such pain. Felt like an eternity. But the, uh, these events would occur every two to three weeks, depending on physical activity that I did. And the physical activity that I was doing wasn't more than running a mile. It wasn't uh, more than uh, a regular class in my martial arts school. So unfortunately, I had to give up my martial arts uh, uh, activities. And it was heartbreaking. I used to do so much with my martial arts schools. We uh, participated in teaching the younger kids from survival techniques to just general self-defense. I was really involved in it. And the fact that uh, my long-term goal mm. outside of high school was to join the military was also encumbered by the fact that I had now this recorded uh, severe medical condition. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to join the Navy, but I, I was not allowed to based on this condition. The Navy was something of a goal where... Uh, I wanted to be the best of the best. I had something to prove to myself. I was a very intense, physically driven person, but yet I couldn't do anything uh, physical at all without suffering from this tremendous pain. And so by not getting into the Navy SEAL program, which is what I truly wanted to do, this is before the Navy SEALs were as popular as they were now. This is 1990, 1991, around there. something that I had thought about for many years growing up, and to have this taken away from me was devastating. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't feel I was smart enough to go to college. I didn't feel that I had the know-how to go into any profession of that matter, and I bounced around from one job to the next after I got out of high school. I was depleting physically. I was gaining weight. And I was, I, was getting, I was getting kind of sad. I was getting kind of depressed in a way. So what was your physical activity during this time? What would you do? I couldn't do anything. I mean, there's nothing like feeling that you could do all these things. You can go out skiing. You can hike. You, you can backpack cross-country. But yet, the moment you put a backpack on, your back starts to spasm. And, and you've got to drop to the floor immediately before, before this thing gets a, a stranglehold on you. So there was nothing that I can do to help vent this type of energy that was beginning to pent up inside me. And it was frustrating. It was extremely frustrating to have this type of uh, suppressed energy with no outlet whatsoever. And when that happens, you have one of two choices. You either just push through it, which is what I did not do. And you succumb to the problems. You succumb to the pain. I became my pain. My pain became me. I attached to the pain. It was now my excuse for any physical activity. Oh, I can't do that. Why? Oh, my back's going to spasm. Oh, I can't do this. Why? Oh, because my back's going to spasm. I couldn't do anything. Because mainly I had built up more than just a physical thing. I had built up a mental problem as well. So talk me how you got out of this victim mentality. For a long time, it was a victim mentality. Uh, I can honestly say decades now, it was a victim mentality. It, 
it was so much a part of me. Like I have, uh, I have facial hair. You know, I have a goatee. So to me, a goatee is part of my personality. It's like, oh, it's right there. If I shave, my son looks at me and like, who are you? And he questions that. <laughs> that that mentality was a part of me with this spasm. It was a part of me. It was something that I was and I will forever be. I had accepted my role as somebody who could no longer do any hard physical activity or even light physical activity either. And it took quite some time for me to realize I don't have to do this. It was as if there's an experiment done many, uh, many years ago with a fly in a jar. And uh, somebody closed the lid on top of the jar, and this fly was trying to get out, and it would bang its head all over the place, top of the jar and everything. And then the fly would then settle down, just sitting on the side of the glass. Then somebody would remove the lid from the jar, and the fly would not move. It would never fly out. Even though there was an opening there, the fly now was succumbed to his own prison in his own head because he believes that he is trapped. And I believe that that's what we all do. I think initially, in the beginning, that back pain was a lid. So what was your turning point? My turning point was, it was a state of depression. Mm -hmm. I won't deny that. It uh, It was a really bad time of my life. It was this time, actually, last year, that... I had had enough. I, I'm, I'm 38 years old. Right. Uh, my 39th birthday is uh, the beginning of March. And at this time, I was 37, I was thinking, I can't believe I spent most of my life being this way. What is my life adding up to? And I have had all these professional successes, but yet for my own personal success, for my own personal adventures that I thought I would have, I never achieved them because of this prison and it was at that moment when your back is against the wall. When your back is against the wall or you hit rock bottom and you have a choice. You have a choice to either crash on the rocks below or bounce. Mm. And it was at that point when I said, you know what? I'm not going to crash. I'm going to bounce. I'm going to bounce as high and as far as I possibly can go. I'm going to push through and I'm going to create so much pain in my back. I'm going to push and expand beyond this because I am tired of this. You don't move unless there's pressure. Water remains stagnant unless there's some form of pressure to move it, whether it's gravity or if it's some other form of current pushing it. It will stay. And so that's what we are. We are mainly made up of water. And if there's no pressure to push us, we won't move. And so that was a turning point for myself. And I joined the gym, and I joined it with the highest um, – I, I had like a fail-safe – when I joined the gym, it was one of those, all right, here I go again. I'm joining the gym. I've done this many times before in the past, but I didn't have the heart. I didn't have the compassion or, or, or the intensity of success that I had in my mind like a, like a laser pointer would have towards an object. It was, it was something more than I've ever experienced before. In the past, I would go to the gym, and I would go two or three times. My back would spasm, and I'd never go again. And unfortunately, I'd buy a year membership and you know I'd waste all that money. Well this time I went in with the parachute approach. I said, you know what, I'm gonna pay more, but I'm only gonna go monthly. I'm gonna take it slow. I'm gonna go one month at a time. And if I hurt myself, I'm not all out of that money. And so that's what I attempted to do. And again, I'm a very intense person. 
If I can do a pull-up, I'll go ahead and do 10 pull-ups. If I can do a push-up, I'll go ahead and do, try to do 50 push-ups and max myself out every single time. And instead, the single most important lesson I've ever learned was patience. If I just step back a little bit and take things slow, downshift a little bit, I might be able to get through this. I mean, think of it. It works with vehicles. Like you're on an icy uh, parking lot. You're not going to put your foot on the accelerator and try to go all out. You're just going to spin your tires. But if you slowly start, you'll grab the traction. You'll start to move further and faster than you would with high RPMs. So it seemed when you were depressed, you actually hated yourself. But the moment you started loving yourself a little bit more by being a little more patient, by setting a goal, you actually started to improve. I did. And I love the way that you made that sound because it it, it does sound a lot simpler than it actually was. Um, I'll be honest with you. In the first month, I didn't learn to love myself. It was almost a form of punishment, if you will. It was something where, and I don't advocate that, but it was that's the way that things had made me move. It was I was not punishing myself. Let me, let me go back on that. I wasn't punishing myself. I was kind of punishing the idea that I was this person with this handicap that couldn't move. And for myself, it was almost a way of breaking the shell to allow that inner person, the person that... Well, you punished yourself by creating your own barriers and, and, and encasing yourself, imprisoning yourself. True. And now you were sort of releasing yourself and saying enough is enough. I've got to get out of this. I'm, go- I'm going to get out of this. And in order to do that, I had to get past those restraints, those shackles that were holding me back. Which you think were they self-imposed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But with good reason, though, too. The reason was a strong physical pain associated with that. Of course. We, we were all pain versus pleasure seekers. We would rather seek pleasure than pain. And my pleasure was always based on short term. It was, I can't do that because I will experience pain. So I will sacrifice the long-term results of possibly getting out of this condition because I don't want to go through the pain. You know, I, I believe that that's what drives most of us when it comes to exercise. When it comes to exercise, we are all pain versus pleasure. And we have that initial idea in the beginning the beginning with our new year's resolutions we want to um, we want to succeed we want to look good in our bathing suits by the time summer comes along right but that goal is, is is too far out it's unrealistic what we need to do is get past the month first because most of us can't even do that no i can't i mean um, i'll use myself as an example um but let me start with this what should be the real purpose of staying fit because like you said society dictates a six-pack and washboard abs but what is your belief based on what your profession thinks and what your own life experience has said to you well being fit is the ability to move we all need to move and the uh, the advertisers that promote the six-pack abs or the 4% body fat uh, compositions, those, those are their erroneous thoughts of fitness. Because I can guarantee you that if you go up to a homeless person in the street and you have them lift up their T-shirt, they're going to have six-pack abs. But that's only because they're starving and they don't have any fat on their body, but yet they're not healthy, they're not in shape. 
just because they have an, an, an ability to show the six-pack doesn't mean that they can do sit-ups or they can move their body around. Maybe they're in agonizing pain. But most of us base our health on how much the scale weighs, how much gravity is pulling down on our body. And that's an erroneous measurement altogether. We shouldn't look to the scale to base our whole uh, positivity of life on. Oh, just because I weigh 165 pounds now, ooh, I, I'm happy, I'm healthy. But I wasn't. So I if felt. you were to measure fitness, what would be your response? The ability to move as flexibly as possible? To move as flexibly as possible would be a great measurement. Mm -hmm. To move effortlessly, uh, to move without having the aches and pains in our body. Most people will blame aches and pains on arthritis or uh, just muscle spasms or, or, or what have you. And yet most of the time that's just muscles in your body that are screaming for attention. Those are muscles that are looking to get in shape. It's, it's basically what it comes down to is blood flow. We need to improve the amount of flow through our arteries and veins. We don't get enough of that. We don't get the nourishment from the blood. And so therefore, the areas that are so far away from our heart, they suffocate. They, they start dying of malnutrition because you're not getting the healthy, fresh blood there on a regular basis. Well, here's my first issue. Ever since I've started this resolution, I'm having a constant battle with my conscience. Um, how do I keep maintaining my resolution over the long haul? Because I do understand in the back of my mind the concept of, you know, short-term pain for long-term pleasure. But here's an example. I tell myself, you know, I'm going to exercise first thing in the morning. Um, but then I'm, my toes vote against me 10 to 1. And, you know, I think I'm in a dire need of a exorcism. So help me out here. How do I maintain this resolution? How did you maintain yours? I, short, uh, I, I shorten my sight. I shorten my line of vision as far as what I consider a goal. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a lot of people out there that consider goal setting uh, the wrong way of uh, obtaining things. And, 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 and for the right reasons, because I think goal setting, if it's the only goal and it's so high, you're not going to obtain that. Like if Sir Edmund Hillary had his sights focused just on the peak of Mount Everest, he would have never gotten there. What he did was he focused his first goal on getting to the first base camp and then his second goal in the second base camp. He took it in stages, and then before you knew it, he's up at the top and he conquers the mountain. And we all have mountains to conquer in our lives, and sometimes we have to break down those mountains. You know, it's one thing to set goals. It's another thing to set goals too high. Some of our goals need to be shortened down to such a degree to help keep us motivated. We might want to say, okay, if we want to lose weight, our New Year's resolution is to lose weight. Well, what is your deadline? What is your goal to lose weight by? Or why do you want to lose weight? Well, I want to look good in the, in the bathing suit by the summer. Okay, great. Well, again, let's break that down Let's get you to the end of January 1st. Let's conquer something that most people don't get a chance to do. And even further than that, let's get you past the first week. Let's say three times a week you're going to go to the gym. And then, you, you, like you mentioned before, you successfully had done that. 
first three times to the gym in one week. Right. And then what happened? Maybe you got bored. I did maybe get bored. Too cold. Well, you get bored because there's no variety. And maybe you pushed yourself too hard, and the pain that you felt from exhaustion or maybe even muscle soreness was just too much for you. Maybe, maybe. Also, I think I was looking for um, short-term results. And, and I think I'm, I'm wrong there because the body's not going to transform itself in, in, in a week. No. No, it won't transform itself in a week. You know, we, we do have that misconception about how quickly we think it's going to take to lose weight. You know, but, yeah, we, we might ingest 2,500 calories in a particular day. And if we just do moderate activities, activities of daily life, we might burn 2,000 calories, which means that there's around 500 calories that's unaccounted for that stays in our body circulating. And if we stay that way, we will gain weight. It takes about 3,500 calories to burn a pound of fat. And think of it this way. How quickly does it take to fill your gas tank up? Now we, in a cold day, we know how long it takes. You know, we put the credit card in the machine, we fill up the tank. It might take two or three minutes to fill up the tank. It feels like an eternity with this cold weather. But yet, as soon as that's done, does it take two or three minutes to burn through the gas? No. It takes over a week, depending on how long we drive, of course. But it takes so much more effort to burn the gas than it does to fill it up. Equate that to the body. It takes so much less time to fill our body up and stuff our bodies with certain foods than it does to burn it off. We have this idea that it's a 50-50 thing. Well, the amount of food coming in should be the amount of energy that I exude in the, on, a, on a treadmill. That's not true. It takes a lot of energy to burn the amount of energy we bring into the body when we push ourselves on a physical level. So we have to look at our goals in a realistic standpoint can't expect certain changes. People will jump on the scale immediately and say, how much weight did I lose this week alone? It's not about that. You've got to change your goal set. You've got to look at, okay, let me just get to the end of the month first. Avoid the scale at all costs. It will disappoint. Why? Because something else people don't know. They are going to start building muscle at the same time they're losing fat. And you know what that does to the gravitational pull of your body on the earth? It doesn't do anything. You negate the weight loss with the muscle gain. And so, therefore, it looks like you lost nothing. And then people get discouraged, and then they give up. But yet, you should look at other factors. Am I sleeping better? Is my dietary habits changing? Am I wanting or craving better foods? I just want to get one clarification here. Um, if I'm working out and I still keep the same diet, well, actually, I'm burning more calories, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you're saying that I might put on weight because the fat's being converted into muscle? Temporarily. And then it'll... And then that'll taper off. If you don't change... For, for men, it's different. For women, of course, it's different. Right. Uh, women won't gain the muscle mass as quickly uh, or as long as men. Men can continually build muscle mass much longer than women. Uh, and yet... Because that's what I noticed happening to me my calorie intake was relatively the same because I didn't want to over-discipline myself. Mm-hmm. But then when I started working out and then I went back on the weighing scale because I like to quantify everything, mm-hmm. and I thought, what the fizzle sticks is going on? Because uh, I'm eating the same, but I'm, I should be burning more calories. I'm putting on more weight. I put on a pound or two. 
most of the time when we start to exercise, the unfortunate part is these muscles are going through a lot more friction. Right. And friction is generating heat. And the body maintains the regularity of your body temperature by adding more water just to regulate your body temperature. So you will hold on to more water, again, temporarily, to extinguish those flames of muscle contraction that are going on. And water will carry weight as well. And you will hold on to more water, and you will therefore gain more weight temporarily. It's just literally what inflammation is all about. Inflammation is just an area which is inflamed with fluid. Here's another thing. In this whole pursuit of being well, for me, I seem to have the attention span of a lightning bolt. I, I get bored so easily uh, doing the same thing every time. How can I keep the exercise interesting? The exercise can change to keep your interest going. For myself, I'm with the knowledge that I have, I'm constantly experimenting and trying out uh, new exercises, new full-body exercises. Uh, I have a friend who is a professional trainer, and I will ask her for advice, and she will give me certain exercises as well. Any local gym now has uh, training, uh, physical training, that usually come as a package. If you were to sign up, they give you about a half an hour of uh, personal training, which they will give you handouts and certain exercises to vary it up. And they'll say, okay, from Monday through Friday, if you come in two to three times a week, here's your regimen. Here's the regimen that's different for the following week, and you go back and forth. So even though it's just two weeks of different training, you are changing it up, which is, again, keeping it interesting. It's just keeping your uh, excitement going. It's going from if you're on your own, if you don't want to do a personal trainer, you walk into the gym. I want to take it away from the world of the gym because not everyone can afford or has access or interest in, in, in going to the gym. They might want to do it at home or what's available that's for free. Anything your imagination can bring to you, any form of movement can be available to your disposal however you want. Anything is exercise. Walking. Everybody can walk. You know, it's too cold outside. Well, that's an excuse. Bundle up. We all walk to our car. You know, we can walk around a little bit more. Uh, just yesterday I was driving home and my wife was walking the two dogs that we have. She was bundled up like an Eskimo. She was still doing it. She did two and a half miles. She was able to do it. We all have the ability to walk. That's one of the best exercises. So you rather know, than getting the minutes. so rather than getting the pizza delivered, I should go collect it. That would be wonderful. Rather than I would have earned that slice. Why don't we start out as getting maybe instead of the pizza delivered, get the salad delivered with the pizza? <laughs> you know, talk about my inner demons. <laughs> um, how do you conquer your inner demons? Because I mean, obviously, you're used to it, but. You must be getting into moments where, you know, I'd rather stay in bed or I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it later. I've said that a lot of times. I'll do it tomorrow. And I've, I've fallen victim to it. I'll admit, uh, like I said, when I started back uh, last year, it mm -hmm. was all gung-ho for me. And I had set up certain goals of my own to accomplish as far as uh, participating in a race just to prove to myself that I could do it. And I got addicted to it because I was able to break through those 
harsh physical uh, problems that I had with my back. So I would get from one race to the next. Well, my last race was about a month ago, and I don't have anything on my schedule until May. And now here I am in a little bit of a lull, like everyone else. It's cold Because you don't have a sense of urgency and there's no sense of motivation. Right, right. right. But I also have history. I have a history of, you know what, I felt better. Not just, not just physically, but mentally. Mentally, you feel powerful. When you achieve all these small little goals, you feel like you could start accomplishing anything you want to accomplish, anything that you set yourself up for. You will accomplish it as long as you break it down in small enough increments. So for myself, of course, I've fallen victim to those traps. I've fallen victim to the, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You know what? I'll admit, I did it this morning. This morning I woke up. It's, it's, it's 10 of 5. I'm looking at the clock. And I feel how cold it is just outside of the covers. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to wear myself out today. I got a big day. Now I'll do it tomorrow. I've fallen victim to it. But I said it out loud to my wife. And so she heard me. And so my wife has a way of leveraging me and saying, you said you'd do it tomorrow. I'm like, you're right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go tomorrow. And, and so I will. I know I will. I know I will certainly do that because tomorrow's another day. Just because you fail at today doesn't mean you fail at everything you should give up. If I couldn't exercise for a week, I would try to get up and go again because I don't like the way that I feel when I don't exercise. So and when you get into a particular pattern, even if you just start to exercise and you're two weeks into it, you will feel the benefits of, of exercise and you won't want to stop. You'll like the way it makes you feel. So what I'm getting from you is keep your goals manageable, break them down into sub goals, and if possible, have a partner to motivate you. Partner is an amazing, an amazing tool to have. I also go to the gym um, three days a week, and I do have somebody there with me. He he meets me there since six o'clock every morning, and we kind of motivate each other. We're at different levels of the game, but yet he's there. I don't want to disappoint. I'm going to show up. I'm expected to be there. Just like when I'm strong and he's weak, he goes because I'm expecting him to be there as well. We support each other. And so, therefore, it's made a nice union because there are many times I have to say that I'm not sure if I would have gotten through certain periods if I didn't have uh, a, a partner to work with, a partner to help uh, keep me going and keep me held accountable to what I had originally set out to do. Do you document everything you do? Does that help? So if you ran, say, three miles today, um, which was maybe half a mile more than what you did last week, do you document it and just chart your progress as a, as a form of motivation? I don't, personally. Um, I know people who do. I'm, I'm not really the analytical type that will write everything down. Thankfully, with the technology that we have today, uh, I can just set my, uh, my phone, which is a GPS tracker, and I can go run outside, and it'll track it for me. And it's kind of like, oh, cool, look how fast I ran, and, and this, is, this is that. But I don't document everything because for myself, like water, the body does ebb and flow. Sometimes there are days that I'm feeling weaker, some days that I'm feeling stronger. So if I'm, say, I'm doing a particular set of push-ups 
I get up in the morning and then I roll over and I start doing some push-ups and I can feel that I'm not as strong. Well, maybe last week I was able to do 50. Well, maybe this week I'm only going to do 30. But if I document it, I might feel like I'm getting weaker or if I'm getting stronger and something's wrong. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me because it's not the short-term goal. It's the long-term progress. I still got up and I was still able to do those push-ups. Well, here's a question. Um... Do do you need to break out into a sweat every time you exercise? Is no. that the measure of exercise? How much you sweat? No, it's just how much you move. The the amount of times that uh, people sweat doesn't necessarily equate. Because I mean, I can talk to somebody uh, about exercise, and their palms will start to sweat. There, you'll see it visibly appear on their brow, but yet they're not moving. Uh, that has, sweating has nothing to do with it. It, sweating has everything to do with just the humidity in the air and the temperature. That's about it. I mean, I've exercised with people who don't sweat at all, and you can see how hard they're actually working, but yet they don't sweat. Does that mean that they're not successful? No, because they're extremely healthy. It's just that their body does not sweat. So the secret to keeping fit is really about keeping the body in motion, keeping the blood flowing. Yes. Does weightlifting keep the blood flow? Absolutely. Weightlifting allows muscles to engorge or or large and uh, or, or enlarge, right. and that is a sign of blood flow increase. And in traditional Chinese medicine, qi, which is the energy that uh, is manipulated with acupuncture, mm-hmm. they say where qi flows, blood flows, and vice versa. So if you want this vibrant energy to flow through your body, you have to make sure your blood flows through your body. You see, when we rest we rust. Our body starts to tighten up. It starts to uh, decay. And the body starts to break down cells that are now starting to suffocate because of the lack of blood flow. So when you move your body, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, you're increasing the, the likelihood of having better days because you're expressing a lot of that negativity out of your body. Most people don't realize that even walking is a form of moving meditation. You feel better. And it's not just because of the moving. It's because you're actually allowing that blood to move through your body. Is too much exercise bad for you? A lot of my friends are, say, over-the-hill guys, 50-plus. They play tennis and... and, uh, they're always coming back with some sort of ailment. And they've been playing tennis for most of their life. And when I see that, it, it doesn't motivate me because um, just watching them play, it seems to be a high-impact sport because you run a few strides, you stop, you swing the ball. Then you run again, you stop. The impact on your knees, on your ankles, I mean, that, that, that must cause a lot of damage. It can if you don't have the support. Uh, the muscular support to coincide with that. It's it's basically like cross-training. If you only do one particular activity, that's all you build up is that one particular activity. Like if I can say this, if I can go out and exercise, and my idea of exercise is just taking dumbbells and doing curls all the time to make my bicep massive, and I can say, oh, I exercise all the time, and then somebody says, well, great, now uh, why don't you go run a marathon since you exercise all the time? Well, because I never ran, now I'm not going to be able to perform properly, and and I'm going to be hurting after the first, you know, four or five miles maybe. If somebody is just 
playing tennis and that's all they do. They're not mixing it up. They're not building up their muscle strength. Maybe, maybe they should go out and, and, and swim once mm-hmm. a week to build up their upper body strength, but in the non-impact way to build up the tone, to allow the ligaments to heal. That's, that's the idea of exercise is changing things up and, and breaking away from the monotony of one particular activity. You will develop problems if you just do one particular activity consistently. But so really what I'm taking from you is that don't play sport to keep fit, but keep fit in order to play a sport so that you avoid damaging yourself. I love that. That was beautifully said. Yes, absolutely. Because like my friends who play tennis, mm-hmm. they keep hurting themselves. And not because it's a new sport. They've been playing since they were 10. But obviously as the body gets older, you've got to be more careful. But because they're not really getting fit for the sport, they're hurting themselves. Because that's all they do. They don't exercise or anything else. They think the sport is the exercise. But while the blood is flowing, you could be damaging your joints and bones. Am I right? Yes. And, and they think it is exercise. And again, it is. But it's not just the only form of exercise that they should be working on in order to maintain the activity that they're doing, too. They should incorporate other activities when they're not playing tennis. It's yoga. I mean, yoga seems to be a very slow-moving, stay in a position, find a position sort of situation. Does that do blood flow? Any, any good for the blood flow? I love yoga. I think yoga is fantastic. I, I tell you, when I was able to run my first half marathon back in October, mm. I was elated. And I thought that I was at the top of my physical health and conditioning, and, and I was. And two weeks after that, I had taken my very first yoga class, and it was extremely humbling. It was humbling to the point that I was having a very difficult time holding positions and trying to stretch my very tightened up muscles, but I felt just as strong leaving my first yoga class, which was just very low impact and stretching, than I did after, you know, doing a complete circuit of all of this hardcore training that I'm getting myself into now. And I'm not saying that yoga is hardcore. It just, it's to your degree or your standard as far as how you want to push yourself. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful activity to increase blood flow, to build up muscular strength, to keep your stamina going as well. So really the secret to being well is all, like you just said, it, it's about the blood flow. So if I was to use an analogy to think of it as a flowing river full of life with fish and things like that, mm-hmm. as opposed to stagnant water that's contaminated. Absolutely. And we have to keep our blood flowing. Yes, and I can also add to that mm. that if this contaminated water system like a pond, uh, which is fresh with water, and then a swamp, which is stagnant, the solution to pollution is dilution. So if you can dilute and keep that blood flowing and get everything moving in your body, you will become less toxic, you will become less sluggish, you will become more energized and vital, uh, vitalized with energy. Dilution you mean through drinking water? 
uh, drinking water and keeping the flow moving, keeping the blood flow, keeping yeah, keeping well hydrated. Of course, that's like uh, the number one uh, most deficient nutrient of the entire planet is water. We don't drink enough of it. Diet. That's usually on everyone's list as well. Mm-hmm. You know, half of America is spent losing weight and the other half of America spends money on, 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 on buying food. We seem to be obsessed with calorie counting. I was doing hardcore calorie counting when I first started working out. That I think was my breaking point of being very analytical. Mm. Because what I found was after uh, after a certain amount of time of exercise, I believe it was about two months into it, and I knew that I had this uh, motivation of continuing with my goal setting of getting one month to the next or even one week to the next, I stopped calorie counting, and I just ate for my well-being. I, I ate my uh, tolerance. I didn't overindulge, but I didn't worry about counting calories because I knew that with my constant movement that I would burn those calories anyway. And the more that you exercise, even when you don't exercise, your caloric burning is still higher than most people who don't exercise at all. Because it's a bit like momentum, I take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly like momentum. So calorie counting to me isn't something that I tend to look at. The only way that I look at calories is when I look at uh, cakes or pies or, or the the sweets. I actually measure them in miles. I look at something and I say, whew, all right, is that worth it? Because that's like five miles on the treadmill right there. Right. And, and for myself, it's like, eh, you know, the, the few minutes of indulging in this awesome piece of pie versus the five miles that I'm sweating on the treadmill. I'm like, yeah, no, I think I'll pass. I'm going to wait till a special occasion. Go to a birthday party. They hand me a piece of cake. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here and I'm socializing with people. Or if I have a drink, which is high in calories, I'm socializing. Those are the times when you can indulge. What's your opinion of these, you know, new products like vitamin water and protein shakes? I, 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 I don't like them. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the protein shake. I'm not a big fan of uh, the vitamin water. Uh, these are all things that are added to uh, the, the, the water or, or added to your meals. I'm not a big fan. I, I always I would get a rather... sense of that. It, there's something, I don't know, my gut says it's just impurities. You know, it's just unnecessary. It is. Let our, let our food be our energy. Experience more uh, variety in the produce department rather than trying to buy one of these shakes. Eat something that you've never looked at before, something that you kind of gloss over. I've done that many times where I love juicing. I actually like to take vegetables, and I have my little Jack Lane juicer, and, and I juice up certain uh, vegetables. But what I'll do is I'll grab things that I've never thought about eating before. Maybe it doesn't look good. Maybe it doesn't look like it's going to taste very good because I'm judging a book by its cover. But yet what I do is I'm just going to grab a few things here, 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 mix them all together, throw them into my juicer, and I, and I drink it down that way. And that, I have to say, I've done the protein shakes. My profession talks about protein shakes often. Right. And yet, I don't promote them because I would rather promote the healthier, vital, life-giving force that vegetables give, or even meats give as well. I wouldn't juice meats, <laughs> but I would just juice vegetables, for, for example. And I would certainly encourage anyone to try that for two weeks they will feel 
better than they've ever felt in their entire life. If they don't exercise, if you want me to you know, put forth a challenge right now, I would say get a juicer. You don't have to buy top-of-the-line juice right. uh, juicer or anything like that. Just buy something that's affordable. Go to the grocery store and just make yourself one uh, eight-ounce cup of juice a day for the next two weeks. Well, now here's another thing. You're a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. People come to you with problems in, the, in their spine and their back. Now, if you notice, all around us in today's world, everyone's looking down, whether they're walking or sitting in the car. It's almost like we're sort of going into reverse Darwinism because everyone's looking hunched, texting and, and, and typing away and things like that. What, what sort of exercises do you recommend for that? Because no one's going to stop. No, no, and I'm guilty of it myself, too. Uh it's just a sign of the times. But, yeah, we have to find ways to counteract that. And so think of the, uh, think of the position. Your, your head's hunched forward. Your shoulders are kind of rolled forward. Right. What would counteract that? Bringing your head back, bringing your shoulders back. I have a great exercise that I usually tell people to do. Which is? And, and usually what I tell them to do is, you know, when you go to the bathroom, on your way out, stop at the door jam and do this exercise. Because you're guaranteed to do this at least four to six times a day, minimally. Yes. So what you do is you just go right in the door jam itself, okay, you're standing in the doorway, mm-hmm. and you have your arm bent on a 90-degree angle, and you just place your forearm right in the door jam itself and just take one step through the doorway, and what you do is you pretty much leave your arm back, and you're stretching out your whole chest muscle in the front, and that's uh, So you use up. your palms as a grip on each side of the door? You can, but you definitely want your elbow touching the door jam. You don't want your elbow lifted up and away. Okay. Okay. So it's almost as if your your um, arms bent on an L. Okay. So it's your palms touching the door jam, your elbows touching the door jam, and it's bent at a ninety degree angle. And you just take one step through the doorway, and you reach back, and you just stretch the whole chest cavity open. I would suggest doing one arm at a time rather than trying to do both arms at once. Mm-hmm. Do one arm at a time. It's addicting. You love the way that it feels because it opens up and it stretches all those muscles physiologically. How many times a day should you be doing that? Uh, I, I suggest at least three times a day. If you get it in once, I'd be even happier because that's one more time that you've ever gotten into your life in the first place. Mm. But if you're doing that and you attach it to something that you always do, that's a lot easier for you to remember than uh, just trying to say, oh, it's time for me to get up and, and, and stretch. No. It, just let let your body remind you. Just remember to get into that habit of, okay, I went to the bathroom. What was I supposed to do when I come out of the bathroom? Oh, I do that door stretch. And it'll take you a total of 20 seconds in addition. Would that be the same? Would, you, would that be the same exercise? You, because like what happens is that I'm sitting on my desk every day mm-hmm. uh, for lo- long periods of time, and I start to get neck aches yes. around the shoulder blades, around my neck. Uh, like when I turn left or I turn right when I'm sitting in the car going home, I can feel pain. Same exercise? Same exercise. And I'd also add another one to that as well because mm. one of the, uh, the problems is we're, we're sitting down a lot. <laughs> and now, now your legs are bent in front of you. Right. And there's, there's a major muscle that attaches to your leg deep inside, goes right. right to your spine. And if you're shortening that all the time by sitting, you're going to wind up with back pain. And one of the best things to do is to kind of get into this nice little position where you just stand up. Yep. You place one leg up on a chair. Mm-hmm. You kind of just drop forward, so you're kind of bending your knee a little bit with the ch- uh, with the leg that's on the chair. Your leg is straight. 
the bottom leg, the one that's on the floor. Yeah. Okay, that one is straight. The other one is kind of just, it's the Captain Morgan approach. Okay. okay. You got your leg bent, a 90-degree angle up on the chair, and you just drop into that a little bit where you kind of lean forward, and you stand your body upright. Right. And what you do is by feeling the stretch, the, the leg that's on the floor, you're going to feel a stretch right in the front of your hip. And that's one of the most invigorating stretches that you're going to do for your body because you're stretching out a major back support muscle. So you won't have the back pain like you're like you're used to. Now all this valuable advice, do you have it in? Uh, do you have a blog, a website? Yes, I do have a blog. First Gear for Life. F I R S T G E A R F O R L I F E. First Gear for Life. Dot WordPress. Dot com. Thank you very much for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. That was the enlightening Dr. Stephen Karpenko. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com and click onto the VIP Jaswell Report. Also, follow me on Twitter at VIP Jaswell and my Facebook page for more great stories from great people. And keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jaswell Report coming soon.